Once again, though, let's get back on subject here. Mike Valeni is your father figure. No, he is not. I will be your father. You love Valenti. Like, remember you were swaggerjacking some of his, his bits. That's who you get your swag off of. You're not a father figure. Let us be your sports father figure on our podcast with swag on SoundCloud and iTunes at WXUTs after further review. After further review, talk a little soccer. Kind of went off a little bit the beaten path. Talked a little bit about officiating, but now we're trying to talk a little bit of soccer. And Dave, give us an update on the Euro 2020. All right, so the, the final was last Sunday. Italy ended up beating England on penalty kicks 3-2 to two after what was a crazy tournament. It was one of those everyone was hoping England would be the team of isn't soccer always crazy, though, David? Uh, yes, but I think now even more so with this European 2020 because this would have been England's first major trophy since 1966. And so it being kind of the semifinal and final being played in England, so everyone was like the home team advantage, kind of rallying the nation. Um, if you mention the words that's coming home to anyone that followed soccer, they'll either be excited because they wanted England to win or annoyed because it was just a sign of English arrogance. That's a whole other, like, that could be a long discussion about that. But just kind of thinking about the years, quick winners and losers, um, the losers, obviously, teams that didn't kind of impress or go as far as individuals thought they would. So thinking about countries like Turkey, who had a lot of quality but really underperformed mightily, didn't make it out of the group stage. Look at a team like Portugal, the reigning European champions, obviously led by Ronaldo, a global figure, but he didn't really have a solid... Like, the team had a great tournament, but they were just not... They really couldn't figure it out in terms of finishing outside of Renato. And then France, um, reigning World Cup winners, everyone thought that they were the team of the tournament, betting favorites. And like England, they lost out in penalties. To an, and unlike England, they lost to an inferior side in Switzerland, who is one of my winners for having a magical tournament. Um, really come, one of those diamonds in the roughs. Um, thinking about how we talked about with the Olympic qualifying, one of those teams that have okay players in terms of clubs, like when they play for kind of their professional careers, but when they come together, they just have a certain cohesion and a chemistry along with them. Um, Denmark, obviously the, the glory of the tournament, considering how um, early on their talisman and their best player, Christian Eriksen, um, had his heart stopped. His heart stopped during their first round or their opening match. And that was kind of the emotional overwhelming. And so for Denmark to really rally around him, making their way to a semifinal against England, losing on some BS, but that's another 
um, that's another conversation. Um, and then obviously the great winner of the tournament being Italy, kind of getting back to a place of glory where they are winning, winning this European championship after not qualifying for the World Cup in 2018. Um, but the, for me, the biggest story, and obviously it's gotten more attention now, kind of in the, over the past week, is just the racism that was in full force, particularly from the English, from the England fans. And I dare even to call them fans. It's more like hooligans, you know, other choice words that we can't say because of the seven deadly words. Um, but when... I got a few for you. How about uh, nincompoops? Mm, no, you, you used more no, than that's, nothing that's burger. Yeah, yeah, more nothing burgers or, you know, not nincompoops yeah. or what's well, some other thing? Wet hens that you use. Uh, I can also refer to them as dingbats. Dingbats, right, yeah. <laughs> Keep going, David. Yeah, just, oh, yeah, just kind of thinking about this kind of racism that we experience. And so, and we see it a lot within our own context. When, when a team does well, that, oh, we're all wrapped around an American flag. We celebrate the unit. We celebrate the diversity that we have as a country. We celebrate that we come from all these different parts of the country. But when something goes wrong, when we lose, oh, oh, it's the black. And usually, kind of, they target the Af- you know the black players. So thinking in terms of England and that shootout loss, Jaden Sancho, Marcus Rashford, and Bakari Sacco, who are all younger than us. Like, they are younger, they are all younger than 25 years old. Dakari Sacco is 19 years old. I believe Sancho and Rashford are 21, 22. So these are, you know, college kids. So for them to be in a hyper situation, miss these penalty kicks that essentially, you know, because of that, they lost the penalty shootout. Just the racism and the vitriol, you know, you're not welcome here using inappropriate language, words I'm not going to repeat, but just kind of the way that they just came out in full force. And I was listening and reading one of the comments from the, the youngest of them, Bakari Sacco, him saying that he expected to receive all of the hate that he did on social media and public from these trolls across social media. Like him knowing that that was going to happen if he you know, miss the penalty kick, which he eventually did. Like, that says something about an individual and a culture that I think really highlights that we see throughout soccer. And so, and not even thinking about just England, what happened after the World Cup, just something that happened Friday in Olympic qualifying for a, a black player in Germany who's doing Olympic qualifying for soccer. The team walked off the pitch because of a Honduran player saying something. Like, like it is rooted so much to kind of use these words that it's hard to imagine one cracking down on it from uh, international level because FIFA is not going to do crap about it. I'm I'm fully aware in saying FIFA FIFA's a bunch of punks. Like they have the power to crack down on what was said. When the U.S. played Mexico and Denver, the homophobic slur, they didn't, like, they're, they gave a quote-unquote punishment slap on the wrist, you know, two games behind closed doors that, you know, Mexican Federation is going to off on the women because, you know, 
it didn't say that it had to be, you know, the men would be punished. There's that. You have what happened in UEFA with the World Cup, the situation in Hungary, and then think about what happened with the Olympic qualifying between Germany and Honduras. Like, there's no way that you can do this unless it comes from the top. And the top is so scared to show any sense of power that it's just going to keep happening. And then you force it onto countries where, again, going back to the United Kingdom, you have government officials at the start of the tournament saying, oh, don't support you know, taking the knee that England has literally done for the past year in support of this movement. But then at the back end, you're like, oh, we need to come around. There's no place, there's no room for hate and racism. Lady, you literally just said a month ago that you are adding fuel to the fire for all those races to kind of say all they want. So it has to be a systemic solution to a systemic problem, but the people that are in place to fix the problem don't want to fix it because then they come under fire and they don't want to lose their jobs. They don't want to be seen as, you know, they don't want to receive the hatred and the vitriol that these professional athletes, particularly those that look like me and Derek, they don't, they don't want that smoke. And it's just, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a long while, probably not even in our lifetimes that racism will be out of soccer, but well, it won't, but, it, but I'm, I, it's not going to be out of life. I mean, that's just how it is. You're just going to have to accept that racism is going to be there. Now, some of it is some. Sorry, some of it is blatant racism, you know, and some of it is also cultural ignorance. You have to tell the difference. There's some people that just don't grow up around different cultures and get different ideals from it. They're just not very educated. And then when you educate them about different cultures, then they kind of go, okay, you know, because I've, I've, it's gone through my life. Now I'm a little bit older than you guys, but I've been where there's some people, and this goes on both sides of the table, where they've only grown up around their culture. There's been some African-Americans or blacks that have only grown up around blacks, and they have these misconceptions of whites. And then it's the other way around, too, where there's some whites that have only grown up around white people and don't know anything about black people. Like, you know, I remember I'll remember this as a young age where um, – some white people, you know, I went to an all white school at St. Pat's where they thought that the Cosby show was fictional. They they thought most black people, there was a person there that thought most black people were lived in poverty because that's what they saw on TV and they saw in certain music videos and stuff like that. So when they saw the Cosby show where it basically now, you know, Cosby just got out of jail. But at this time where they had a positive image of black folks. They they went up to me and one of my friends told me, he was like, I, I just thought that was fake. I thought that was just TV. And I said, no, that's real. There are successful black families where they're two parent household and both parents probably have, you know, a, a career where they make a, a good substantial amount of money and their kids are being college educated. So that happens at time. I, I think that, you know, do I want to see have racism erased? Yes. But is that ever going to be possible? No, because we're humans and humans make mistakes. And like I said, you know, sometimes the division is just culturally. That's just how it it happens, where you go to some cities. There's certain, you know, areas where it's predominantly black, predominantly white, predominantly Hispanic. You see it in lunchrooms where you go to where you're you see people see you as relatable. You know, if you go it's not on purpose, but a lot of times on the first day of school, 
now I don't know how it is now with kids because I've been out of school for a long time. The black kids sat with the black kids and the white kids sat with the white kids if the kids didn't know each other because you, you sit and you try to relate with people that look like you. So that's what usually happens. Now, there's some people that, that do get educated and they just don't really give a damn and they're going to hate on somebody for no matter what. And, and those are the people that you, you just have to pray for, Dave, and just say, well, I hope someday you see the light and hopefully you get that bitterness out of your heart. And, you know, those people don't really affect me because they're the ones that are probably either mad at themselves or they're mad at something stupid. So, you know, let them have that anger. Don't let them agitate you. But as far as going in soccer, it's just not going to happen, dude. It's, it's going to always be in soccer. I mean, that's just nothing you can do about that. Yeah, and that's the kind of sad and unfortunate reality because there are so many kind of individuals that they know better, they just choose not to do better. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that's kind of the part of the message that uh, Bakari Sacco was putting out with his statement and his comments. Like, I know kind of, you know, uh, and even kind of with some of the commentary from the club, managers, owners, partnerships, like players, like people rallying in support. Like, yes, we know that, you know, there are going to be those idiots out there that are hiding behind computers, hiding behind screens, saying all this, you know, vitriol and stuff, but you have to be the bigger person. And at the end of the day, these professional athletes, they're going to be the bigger people. They're going to kind of recognize that this is, you know, this is their profession. They are, you know, they are black kids, so they are going to stand and that's true. They're going to, you know, continue to stand up and they're just kind of going to do, um, they're going to do what they need to do. So, and I, and I'm in, you know, full support of them. Obviously condone all the acts of hate, but we're just, there's just a lot of work to do. And I know football or soccer, as some people like to call it, they have a lot of work to do as well, but just one step at a time. Starts with education and then goes to mobilization. Well, I guess my question is, why is it, can I have to ask you guys this, why it's, why do people get so emotional about soccer in these other countries? Like, we've seen the documentaries where someone misses a, a penalty kick and then the next thing you know, they go back to their country and they, you know, suspiciously get killed. <laughs> I, or they or they score in the wrong goal. No. Yeah, that's called two Escobars. That's Escobars. Yeah, and and uh, you know he went to where was he on the street and then someone just pulled a machine gun out and just you know you know they somebody just kills him for you know and the same thing with this you know the penalty kicks he didn't make it and now all of a sudden you're seeing racism. Well, and I, and I think it's kind of hard because we have so many sports kind of here in the states. So, like, kind of around the world, like, soccer is, like, like football is life. That's their, you know, first sport, second sport, sometimes third. So I'm, I was trying to think of kind of American comparisons. So thinking about kind of how in the Super Bowl, you know, field goal kicker for the Buffalo Bills, and this is four straight field goals. Scott kind Norwood. Of of your, yeah, Pat Norwood. Like, when you say his name, if you were to say his name, you know, two weeks after the Super Bowl and you were living in, you know, western New York, People are going to be like, oh, you know, hate him, you know. And I think it's also kind of the the race element has to play into it. And so thinking about all the times where, well, let's even go here. Kind of when LeBron did the decision, the, so, the social media outrage 
and the hate for LeBron James. Like, take that that was experienced in Cleveland, Akron, I really most of the state at that time, and like amplify that by a million. And that's how some of these countries like feel and idolize about their soccer stars because they are the best of the best. And in a country where soccer is life, and on a national stage where everyone is rooting for you, everyone is behind you, kind of to be let down, disappointed like that, where you put all this emotional, again, emotional investment, while, you know, other people are actually putting a physical investment into it. Like, you can kind of understand why there's so much hate, or even um, kind of Bucky Dent. I mean, like, I mean, well, even, I mean, I mean, he's not black, but, I mean, Bartman went into hiding. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, like, like, so, like, it's like those kind of moments, like, are what other countries feel about and how they understand their soccer star. Right now, Bartman, now, he, he got off, left off the hook after 2016, after the Cubs won the World Series, but I remember that like yesterday. Like, why'd you put your glove out there? I mean, the glove. I mean, the Cubs were rolling, and Moises Alou makes that catch. And you know, some people think the Cubs that year could have won the World Series, and that that you know could have got to the World Series. Now, if they could have won it, we don't know. But you know, an overzealous fan. But I think if the Cubs hadn't had that pain and suffering, I don't think Bartman would have endured the stuff that he went through but because the Cubs had seen fans had seen so much weird stuff to happen to them to basically lose ball games um that's what I think happened to him so but right I see what you're saying though that you know rabid fans make it kill it for everyone else yeah and and thinking about kind of going back to England which is like a major subject so since they had one in 1966 there's a lot of you know curses or moments like that you think of, you know, the, the quote-unquote hand of God, which was an actual goal. I don't know why England fans are so up in arms about it. Mm-hmm. Like, they see that as part of that kind of 55-year curse. Uh, Euro 1996, where the current manager, Kira Salke, was a player that missed penalties. That's why there's such a voodoo and, like, haunting about penalties and England that kind of has lasted to this day because of Euro 96. So kind of carrying all that history, you know, 55 years now in a penalty shootout, able to, you know, get rid of, exercise all the ghosts and demons of the past, and then boom, it happens again. So I think part of that, um, everyone really seeing this as the moment where everything, and we are that close to alleviating the curse, lifting up, you know, lifting up our heads that are fucking shame. You know, football's finally coming back home. England winning a European competition, some kind of trophy. So I think all that magnitude just added on to this kind of just the racial fact of kind of when you win, we're all together. Everyone's wrapped around the flag. But when you lose, kind of, oh, now we're isolating and, you know, you know, doing the race thing. Yeah, like I said, I I think that some of the stuff that was going on was kind of not right. But then again, though, it it is kind of cool to see them have that passion for their sports. Yeah, I mean, like I'm not going to 
And, and it's definitely cultural and universal. Like, I don't think, any, well, maybe maybe a baseball fan might be that, like, rabid. I mean, the Pirates aren't going to win anything. In the, they aren't going to win a World Series for a while. But, like, like you, there are some fan bases, like, within the American context, we can kind of see that amount of, like, crazy rabidness. Like, so, you know, like the big teams, the Lakers, the Yankees, if they actually do win something mm-hmm. anytime soon, like like we could see, we see glimpses of it here or there. But even when we see those, like those are news; those are the news for weeks. Mm-hmm. Like we were talking about, like they were talking about Bartman until they were able to kind of kind of get him on camera and talk about it. Right, he went into for, hiding for a while. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, like. Keep going. No, I was just saying, think about, you know, like we're still talking about the decision. And, I mean, LeBron went to Miami, became a villain, one came back to Cleveland, one in Cleveland became a hero. But people are still talking about the decision. So I don't yeah, know about just, not not as intense, I think, with LeBron redeeming himself. It's kind of like, well, you remember this happened in history. Like, it still comes up in, in my memories on, on the book. But, it, it, it you know, it's it, it's something that happened. But at the same time, um, I think it was a little more sour when he was in Miami winning championships because, you know, he kind of did embarrass their fans. But now it's like a moment in history where it's like, oh, that's what happened. You see the behind the scenes. And I think – Somebody fell asleep. I think it was a Kanye West fell asleep and he didn't make it or something like that. It was something kind of crazy like that. So, um, yeah. So the stuff like that happens. But what's coming up next for soccer? Another big thing. Are they doing Euro 2021 this year? I mean, I know there's some places that are just doing double tournaments where they're doing 2020 and 2021 in the same year. Well, it's really kind of, well, within the global context, the next big thing is the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. So that is November of next year. Mm-hmm. But um, here in the United States, we're, we're in the middle of the Gold Cup, which is kind of CONCACAF, so um, North America and then the Caribbean islands and Central America. So that's kind of the current, what's happening. Um, Team USA is getting ready to play Canada for the right to win their group. Um, so that's happening locally, but yeah, and then club, yeah, club football starts up within the next month or so. So that's going to be right back into it. So people are getting their vacations, their holidays. But yeah, the next big European uh, base tournament really wouldn't isn't until the World Cup in Qatar, and that's just going to be crazy because that's in November, December. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, David, I believe the uh, 2026 World Cup is actually going to be in North America. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's a Mexico, United States, Canada, but mostly, mostly Mexico and the United States. There, there are a couple of countries in Canada that have um, submitted bids to host, uh, host games and matches, but primarily I think a lot of people expect will be in the United States and Mexico. And by default, we'll be there. I'm sure I'll have a full rant about how 
you know, 2026 is going to be a proving ground for us. But after the five years I've listened in on that day, they'll, they'll be pleasantly surprised. Is it? Could you, for the last part of this, as we kind of wrap the segment up, for USA soccer, isn't it kind of like the opposite of USA basketball where they're getting better? They're on the opposite spectrums where we're expecting blowouts and to dominate on the basketball side, whereas on the soccer side, especially on the men's side, we just want them to compete and actually get better. Yeah, and I think kind of not just competing, get better, but within these local regional competitions, I think the expectation, and they always set it up to be this way, for it's us and Mexico always playing in some kind of final or towards the tail end, towards the trophy, because Mexico and the United States are the cash cows of CONCACAF. That's why Mexico is not getting hit with any sanctions that will affect them playing in any other tournament or playing a lot of games behind closed doors, because they, they know where the money is. They know who's, you know, who's supplying the goods in terms of generating soccer content. And knowing just, uh, like, soccer, like football in Mexico is bigger than any other sport in Mexico. And so for us, kind of, Mexico will always be our standard that we're trying to live up to and compete with in terms of, you know, North American, Central American supremacy. But I think kind of, compared to uh, how our men's and women's team or how our Olympic men's and women's basketball teams are. Yeah, we are, we are like, uh, and I hate to do this because I'm going to you know, irritate some, some country, but we are kind of like that, like Italy, bas- like Italy basketball or, you know, the German basketball where like they have moments, they've had great players, but kind of, they're just trying to get up to that competition where they are in the conversation with the Australia, with the France, with the Brazil, with the Argentina, with the Spain, you know. So, like, we're, we're getting there, and we're closer now than we've ever been, if we're just going to be honest. So I, I think that if we, if we can qualify for 2022, which, as we know, is not even a given at this point, if we can get to there... I think, as bare minimum, getting to for for Team USA has to be that next step, especially after missing the competition the way that we did that night in Trinidad and Tobago. I think getting to the quarterfinals and then trying to build off of that when we host in 2026, because we we have the players, we have the talent, we have the superstars that are playing in Europe, the guys that are getting time, the guys that are young, that we see the potential that in, you know, a year's time, year and a half time, we're going to be that much better. It's just putting the pieces together and hoping that we can ride on a little bit of guitar magic. Yeah. And I, but the thing about it is, and I understand that soccer has been generationally better in other countries but how long does it take before we actually be competitive now in the women's game we've been really killing they've been talking about eagle pay and everything like that as well and uh the women's side has been really successful but for men's soccer you know the, the first world cup you know wasn't it 94 it was here and then the women was yeah. 99 
it's been 27 years. How long does it take before we, you know, get some interest? And and, and football has lost a lot of players to soccer. And I know soccer is big in certain pockets of the country. But how long is it going to take where we really are getting competitive, at least, in, in qualifying every year for stuff? I mean, it's been 27 years. Well, well, I mean, it's been 27 years since we hosted right. the World Cup. I think host, hosting is like a different... Well, but, the, but, but the think about it. Well, think about it, David, though. Before the World Cup got hosted 27 years ago, soccer was just the niche thing. It was just it's for the weird kids. If you didn't make the football team, then go over there and play some soccer. You know what I'm saying? It was almost like before it really got here, it was kind of like a niche sport, almost like lacrosse is now. You know, lacrosse was big in the East Coast years ago and now it's just starting to you know become a varsity sport that was kind of how soccer was back in the late 80s early 90s it was it was like okay you play soccer and people just thought soccer was with something that you first of all it's called football around the country we call it soccer for one and for two people just thought it was a sport where you just kick the ball around and they saw it was known more for the hooligans than it was for actually the great play on the field and plus, when the World Cup was here in 94, that was, I believe it also happened around the same day that another Dayton sports history happened. Was that? In June of 1994. Oh, n- yeah, OJ. Um, but I, I think it really didn't get. It, it didn't really like. Uh, it was an exhibition. Like now, nah, it was exhibition games, and then the real soccer started in July. I remember there was a couple of games at the Silverdome. That was really big back then when it came to the Silverdome, and I think they played also at Soldier Field. Yeah, too. they did. So, but 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 then before the before it came to the country for hosting it, you know, people only knew soccer stars was Pele, and he hadn't played in like twenty or thirty years. Now, obviously, people are really up on it, but it was kind of like like how MMA is. You know, back then, soccer, MMA, that was, you know, that was just something that, you know, the eccentric kids played. Now, it's big. It's actually pretty decently big in this country. Yeah, and you have, like you were talking about the pockets of the country, primarily in the Midwest, we're thinking about Ohio. Um, there's a huge influx of soccer talent, football talent coming out of Kansas City and St. Louis area, obviously Texas. Is hotbed primarily for uh, Texas, California, primarily for the Mexican American players. Right, and plus because uh, those are warmer weather places where you can play all year round. Yeah, well, I mean, even kind of kind of thinking about us in the Northeast, mm-hmm. uh, there are kind of pockets here in West or Eastern Pennsylvania, New York that are decent that are decent soccer academies. Thinking about Maryland is always a hotbed for getting local talent. So, like, there are pockets where you find kind of these academies starting to spring up. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that for us to compete on the likes of uh, France, where we're, you know, consistently competitive, even if we're to get on a level like Mexico, where we're going to be consistently competitive, I think it's going to take probably at least, it's going to take at least, four or five World Cup qualifying cycles, so that's 20 years, mm-hmm. for us to consistently be there, consistently be in the knockout stages of the World Cup, for us to get to a place as on the men's side where I think the women have already shown to be at the top of the mountain. 
Do I think that we'll, that we will ever sometime at some point win a World Cup? Yeah, maybe. You know, dreams, miracles do happen. You just never know with the game of football. But I think for us to really build that foundation is is going to take us longer because we're coming into this game super late compared to some of the global superpowers mm. where kind of if you talk about a Pele, you know, not how many people know that he played for the New York Cosmos? Not a whole lot of people. No. I mean, yeah, it's like, like it's, it's about education and learning kind of about the game and what it has done for the United States and getting it from a place where it is not just this niche sport or you can, you know, play it indoor or you can play, you know, recreation, you know, in gym elementary sport. But this is something that, you know, if you continue to build and build upon, you can sign a professional contract at 15, 16, 17. You can play collegiate soccer, get drafted to the MLS. You can play collegiate soccer and travel the world playing this game. And I think that opens up kind of the doors that, in terms of relatability and making the game universal in the United States where soccer is, you know, just six summit option in a, in a, you know, dynamic and the scale of a sport where, you know, football is number one if you cross the border, at least going south of Mexico. Hockey in Canada is, you know, relatively number one, but it's a journey. Yeah, well, wrapping up this segment, David, what do you got planned for this weekend? Uh, watching, you know, getting prepping for what's coming up in terms of football. Next week, I'm going to have NFL previews because it's, it's here. Whoa, so. whoa, 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 whoa. Next week, I will be in Indianapolis. Next two weeks, actually, I'll be in Indianapolis finishing up the AAU season. And then when August comes, can you believe this? A year later, it's it seemed like football season went by offseason went by fast yeah cause, well, you, you, it wait, feels like the Super Bowl just ended is that just me yeah nope no okay okay keep going that's not just you so you're so you're gonna be in uh, Indy the next two weekends mm-hmm. so that means no no shows the rest of July mm-hmm. and then first week in August I'm gonna be in Kalamazoo oh okay well you know me and David can be here we yeah. can hold down the four he'll have and then I'll previews. be I will be back on August 14th and oh I'll, yeah hopefully Wait, I'll have a uh, Chris Schultz to call in we'll talk some high school football think about it though dudes think about this think about this last year at this point we were just getting back in the studio for one second of all Michigan had to postpone their season in the middle of it. at first pushed it back then postponed it brought it back and then you, you guys didn't get done till january yeah because it got put on pause and then the super bowl was in february but think about it though last year all this pro vicota protocol the football was probably one of the first major sports to come back and play i mean they did the bubble and everything but now a year later it's like I can't fathom going back to where it was in 2019 where you got training camps and you got Dallas Cowboys on hard knocks. Um, and football is saying they're going to have 100% fans back, right? Yeah, I know that Ford Field is going to. And you'll be going to some Lions games, right? You'll get to see your buddy Jared Goff. I don't know. You don't know. 
don't know if I'll be going. I don't know if I'll be going or not. We'll because I usually work on Sundays. Um, Frank, you got to go and see the lions bite kneecaps and legs off. <laughs> It's gonna, it's gonna depend on my work schedule. I mean, I may go to some college games. <laughs> Frank, Frank's not confident in the lines. I can already tell. He, he, he thinks they're gonna I mean, be garbage. I mean, I understand that you don't have the sixth ranked, you know, sixth best quarterback in the league, according to some "quote unquote" experts. But I mean, at least support the lines, you know. You know roar, lions, roar! Mm-hmm. It's forward down the Probably. field. <laughs> Forward down the field to hopefully score a touchdown. That's something that you guys were lacking. I mean, I'm all, I'm already expecting the Lions to be bad this year. <laughs> you I mean get give get give them time. Get um, they're trying. They're basically trying to get the thing built up. So it's gonna take it's gonna take some time. I'm not expecting much this year. Well, that's what they all say. Anyway, Especially since they don't really have anybody to catch the football. Megatron might come out of retirement. That's not happening. <laughs> you never know. So, David, you got your previews coming up. We'll have that around August 14th. Um, and what else? I mean, that's about it. I mean, I'm going to watch baseball. Who does that? Yeah. The All-Star game was pretty interesting. <laughs> Shone Otani. We'll probably talk about that coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, and anything else, David, before you get off the phone? Nope, that's it. Just living the life one day at a time. Mm-mm-mm. All right, David, have a good weekend, my man. All right, see you. Yep, that was David, the man of God Harris there on the phone lines. What's your what's your plans, uh, Frank? Well, more getting ready for football season and work. So we'll see what happens. How's that over there at the, the Zon? Oh, I've been bouncing around between stowing and inbound dock. And you work the same shift every week, right? It's nothing... Yeah, unless I do a shift swap, which I had to do this past week. I took Sunday off and worked Thursday. Mm, Monday through Thursday, huh? Yeah, I'll probably end up having to do that again uh, in August because I've got a family reunion on Sundays. Wouldn't you rather just work Monday through Thursday? Uh, problem is that you know, that's not necessarily available. Oh, okay. So you work on the Lord's Day when they have the Lord's Chicken shut down on Sunday, yeah. Sunday, Sunday. But, of course, if I can ever get a Sunday off, I always try and take advantage of it. Yeah, totally true. Well, Frank, uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Get some of that AAU in. And uh, uh, basically, um, well, I was going to say, um, oh, it escaped my mind, but this has been a presentation of 88.3 WGTs after further review. Oh, you're supposed to give a shout out to uh, Level Up CEO. Yeah, John Carabino uh, oh, is uh, playing for the, uh, is also the general manager of the Southeast Michigan Red Storm. They're playing tonight at Navarre Field. Hoping to get hoping to get a win. I'm actually going to be there. I got to go run the clock for that one. Navarre Field is where? Ah, uh, uh, Navarre Field is in uh, Monroe, Michigan. That's where uh, SMCC plays their games at. Mm-hmm. It's a field I refer to as the friendly confines. Mm, so he, how old is this guy if he's a CEO and playing football still? Sometimes you got to give up those football dreams. Uh, I think John is just a little bit younger than me. I think he's like, like his early thirties. Yeah, you might want to start. He might want to focus on being in the front office. Well, he. Yeah. Well, he. I mean, he played. He played in high school. He played in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He did play a little bit of semi-pro ball, and they had the Southern Michigan Timberwolves. And I remember that. 
they went bye bye. Mm-hmm. So he made up his own thing, and he's the CEO of Level Up. Okay. Yep. Nice. Well, Frank, you have a good weekend as well. We've been presentation on 88.3 WHT's After Further Review. Make sure you always check us out on SoundCloud and iTunes. It's WHT's After Further Review with a picture of Frank Vashner and the horse's head for David and Frank. I'm Derek. We'll see you when you see you. Probably about three weeks or so. This is 88.3 WHT's After Further Review. Peace. We'll see you when we see you.